Okay, we are back after a couple weeks away from 2 Kings. We are back in 2 Kings today. And we're starting in 2 Kings 21.19. We have to finish off that prior chapter. It's not in your your notes really because it's going to be very quick. But after Manasseh died, we see in verse 19 of chapter 21 that Ammon was the next king. And Manasseh was Hezekiah's son, and so Ammon is his grandson. It says Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. So we're not talking a long time here. His mother name his mother's name was this really long one, Meshulema, the daughter of Haruz of Jotba. And he did, here's the key verse, verse 20, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done. And he walked in all the way which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And his, the servants of Ammon conspired against him and put the king to death in his house. So he didn't have a lot of good friends, right? He had people that wanted him. Yeah. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his place. And that's Ammon. We don't know why the people wanted to kill him, but they did, and they were effective. It could have been people that wanted to worship, to, to return back to worshiping God. Uh, we don't know, as it was done in the days of Hezekiah. Some may not have liked it that Israel or uh, Judah was now a vassal state of Assyria. And we can also assume that those who killed him had no issue placing Josiah as the king. Now, why do I say that? Because Josiah was eight years old. Okay? So Josiah wasn't behind this. Someone else was. Now, even though the it says in verse 24, the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon, And they made Josiah, his son, king in his place. And we're going to see in the upcoming passages in the next two chapters that making King Josiah was an excellent choice. So we get into 1 Kings 22, the first two verses, and we start this reign of Josiah. So Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. That means he was 39 when he was killed, right? Or when he died. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adahiah of Bozkoth. Actually, I do try to pronounce these at home sometimes. <laughs> and he did what was right. This is the key verse. He did what was right in the ways of the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now remember, Hezekiah had started a whole bunch of reforms. Manasseh reigned for 55 years. Now, 12 of that was a co-regency with Hezekiah. So, but that's still 43 years and then two years with Ammon. So that's 45 years of evil, ungodly rule. Now, looking back at what Hezekiah had accomplished, as if we went back to 2 Kings 18, he removed the high places, he shattered the sacred pillars, He cut down the Asherah poles. He shattered the bronze servant that Moses had made centuries earlier. But then we saw that Hezekiah, who was Manasseh's son, and his grandson Ammon, during their reign, 
turned the nation back to those ungodly ways. Manasseh even sacrificed his son to Molech. And because of their idolatry, in 2 Kings 21, 12, we read, Therefore thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. God said, that's enough. But during that wait, until that disaster came, Judah had another king who, in verse 2, did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, being just eight years old, when you begin to be a king, you're going to have to have some counsel. Not too many eight-year-olds, or in fact, no eight-year-old could be a decent monarch. And we know that he had good good counsel. Now, Isaiah was dead at this time because Manasseh had killed him. Most likely Manasseh had done it. Paul House wrote about the help that Josiah had available, and he said this, These are the days of Huldah, who interprets the covenant for Josiah, of Jeremiah, like Josiah is a young reformer, and of Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, each of whom contributes significantly to the climate of reform in the land. So, just to, you know, we know these books, we're not going to go study them, because we'd never get through. Well, we'd get through, but it'd be a few years. Um, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and you got Jeremiah, you've got these other prophets that were there, even though Isaiah was gone. Now, if we turn to 2 Chronicles 34, we get a little more insight into the beginning of the reign of Josiah. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3 through 7. We read this, For in the eighth year of his reign... While he was yet a boy, he began to seek God, the God of David, his father. So he was 16 at that time. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and metal images. Now remember, Hezekiah had taken the Asherim away, but guess what? They came back. Verse 4, And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them, and he broke in pieces the ashram and carved out, and carved, and the carved and metal images. He made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as the Naphtali, and in their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the Asherim and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. That's what Josiah did. Now, historically... Josiah's reign was 640 to 609 B.C. And significant things were happening in the world at that time. The Assyrian leader, Ashurbanipal, died in 627 B.C. Now, he was the leader of Assyria, which was the the world power at the time. And when he died, a leadership struggle ensued. Who was going to be in charge of Assyria? And basically, about a year later, that cost Assyria control over Babylon. Because they had Babylon under their control. But this Assyrian leader died, and Babylon was then no longer under their control when they had this internal fight in Assyria. After that, Babylon allied themselves with the Medes. And they conquered 
Babylon conquered Nineveh in 612. He died in 627, so it took about 15 years for all this to take place. Babylon and the Medes got this alliance, and they went and conquered Nineveh, which was a key city in Assyria. And then by 609, or three years later, the Assyrian Empire was over. Now, why do we say all this? Well, during the reign of Josiah, Assyria was experiencing these significant problems. They couldn't go out and try to expand and come back and take over Jerusalem. And Babylon had not yet risen to a world power. They were just coming up. So as a result, Judah during this time was relatively quiet from all the activity around it from all these other nations. So that allowed Josiah to do some of the things that it talks about in 2 Chronicles 34 and what we're going to see in 2 Kings as well. So the, the timing was right for Josiah to do this. All that's God's working out, but just to give you a little, little insight. Now, starting in verse 3, we see Josiah and the temple. So in the 18th year of King Josiah, so he would have been 26, right? He had already done some of these other things. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord. He says, go up to the house of the Lord. And he says this, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. Let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no account... This is interesting, verse 7. Especially me with an accounting background, right? But no accounting shall be asked of them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. <coughs> Didn't need any lawyers. Okay? They deal honestly. So again, repairs were needed in the temple. Now, the last time we saw repairs in the temple was with King Joash. And that was some 200 years earlier. Okay? So, needed to have some more repair done. And this time, we will be told of something pretty incredible, almost unbelievable, that happened in repairing the house of the Lord. So as in the 18th year of his reign, he went about the reparation. We are not told what prompted him to do this, but we can assume it was needed for what we see occurred. It was long overdue. And it showed Josiah had his heart right on honoring God. So now in verse 8 of 2 Kings 22. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, and we just read about that in 2 Chronicles, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Masiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. They came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the keeper of the threshold, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel and from all Judah and Benjamin and from all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they gave it to the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord, and the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord gave it for the repairing and the restoring of the house. They gave it to the carpenters and to the builders to buy quarried stone, timber for binders and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. And the men did the work faithfully. Over them were set Jaoth and Obadiah, the Levites, the sons of 
Merari, and Zechariah, and Meshulam, the sons of the Kohathites, to have oversight, the Levites, and all who were skillful with instruments of music, thought that was interesting, were over the burden bearers and directed all who did work in every kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. Now these verses provide the scene for that repair work and all that was going on and everything was going according to plan. But in verse 14, a significant event changes things in a big way. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given to Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave, it, gave the book to Shaphan. Now, this is interesting, don't you think? They found the book of the Lord? According to Deuteronomy 31, 24 to 27, if we would go back there, there was to be a copy of the book of the law beside the Ark of the Covenant beginning in the days of Moses. And the word of the Lord God was with Israel. That to show that, but it also shows there had to be a pretty good size neglect. And the neglect could only happen because Judah was in prolonged disobedience to God. Deuteronomy 17 tells us that each king was to have a personal copy of the law and he was to read it. Deuteronomy 31 tells us the entire law was to be read to the assembly of the, of the nation once every seven years. Read it. And it was to be done at the Feast of the Tabernacles to keep the law before the people. The details of this story make it very clear that the book of the law had not been seen in many years, many generations probably. And as you would probably expect when you start reading this, there's been a lot of discussion and debate over exactly what was found. What is this book of the law the Lord gave, gave through Moses? What did it contain? Okay? And this is one of those things you could spend a lot of time. But guess what? No one knows exactly because it doesn't say. But here are some of the thoughts. Some think it was the original first five books of the Bible. Maybe a portion of it. Maybe all of it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Many believe it was a complete book of Deuteronomy. Or at least a portion of the book of Deuteronomy. And there's all kinds of reasons and we don't need to go into all that. Others hold that this is the autograph of Moses. The reasoning is is that it is said to be the book of the law the Lord gave through Moses. And in this autograph was a portion of Deuteronomy, mainly chapters 28, 29, 30, and 31, which contains a renewing of the covenant in the plains of Moab, which contains very strong statements against those who corrupt God's word and God's worship. So we don't know exactly, and we could look for a long time and study for a long time, but never know for sure. But one thing we do know for sure is this had a huge impact, and it was part of God's word. So what was Joash's, or Josiah? I get that confused. If I say Joash, that's the other guy that cleansed the temple 200 years before. I don't mean him. I mean Josiah. What was his response? Starting in verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Verse 16. Shaphan brought the book to the king. 
and further reported to the king all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it to the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it, read from it before the king. We get an idea of what the king thought about what he heard. Verse 19. And the king heard, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Verse 20. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahakam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according all that is written in this book. I would love to have a YouTube of when they opened that up and read that. You know, pretty powerful stuff going on here. When we find something that we had forgotten about, if you'll go through your house or something that has great value or maybe sentimental value, we tend to get excited about it. Connie found something that I had when I, I, I had received when I was in high school and I'd forgotten all about it. She said, do you remember this? And this was just a few months ago. And I said, yeah, yeah, I think I kind of do. You know? And, oh, that's pretty neat. I don't know what we're going to do with it, you know. It's, a, it's an autograph from Jesse Owens, you know, the most, uh, most important track and field athlete in history, and it always will be. I went to hear him speak one time back in Minneapolis, and I had forgotten all about it. But you say, oh, wow, that's pretty neat. You know, but we find stuff that we've forgotten about. But look how Josiah responded when they found a book of the law. First of all, he took the time to have it read before him. What does it say? He could have read it himself, but no. Read it to me. And when he heard the books, words of the book, he tore his clothes. Now the tearing of clothing was an expression of horror or astonishment in a very strong way. It demonstrated Josiah's grief on his account and on the account of the nation. It showed a sign of humility before God and acknowledged their sin before God. And then immediately he pulled these people in and says, Go inquire of the Lord. Understanding that the nation, not just him, the nation had not been keeping the word of the Lord and doing what he, the Lord, commanded them to do. Now from here I want to take a little short side trip to Second Chronicles 34. It'll be a short one. So earlier we mentioned that Huldah was a person who influenced Josiah during his reign. Huldah is a person not brought up much today. I've never heard a person named Huldah. Right? I've known a Hilda, but I've never known a Huldah. Who was she? Yeah, Huldah is a she. We don't know much. We just have a few scant details here. Where is that passage? I don't have it in my notes. It's in 34. Yeah. 34 what? I thought I had it, but I was deleting a lot of stuff late last night, and then I probably goofed it all up. Second Chronicles 34, 22. Yeah. So Hilkiah 
And those whom the king had told him went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokah, the son of Hashra, the keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her regarding this. That's all we know about Huldah. That's it. But they went to her and said, we have to ask you a question about what the Lord thinks. So we can go back to 2 Kings 22, verse 23. And it said, And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So she is a prophetess. Tell the man who you sent to me, thus says the Lord, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah. So we know that that portion of scripture that he was listening to, and this is why they think it came from the latter part of Deuteronomy, um, all those curses that were written in the book that was read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. That's a sobering word. But then Huldah continues in verse 26. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, Thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me, and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Now, we have no indication that they told Huldah what he did, but she knew because God told her. Yes. Yeah, um, have we got some kind of, um, like I'm getting that Second Kings 22, 22 to 28? There is no 28. Yeah, my Bible only needs to go to uh, about verse 20. <coughs> okay. In some of, some of these verses, I think I'm. I think I goofed up. Yes, I think I'm in Chron- Second Chronicles, aren't I? I'm in Second Chronicles twenty four, twenty two to twenty eight. I'm sorry, I have it. I typed it wrong. Second Chronicles twenty four. Thirty four. Oh, thirty. Second Twenty-two to twenty-eight. That's where I got my. I, I got I to fix that in my notes. You got to fix that. I do. It says, Behold, I will gather you to your fathers. Talking, hold this, telling her the word of the Lord to about Josiah. I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. Now Huldah's message was similar to other of God's prophets. First, the idolatry of the people will bring about disaster. And second, because of the humility of Josiah, he will be spared in seeing that disaster. Again, we see what's the most critical thing that God hates. <coughs> and why is he going to bring disaster upon it, Judah? Verse 24. We just read it. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, verse 25, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. One thing that we need to get through our stubborn heads, God is dead serious about you shall have no other gods before me. 
And he's dead serious about you shall not make idols. And we are prone to do exactly these two things just like Israel was. If we're not controlled by the Spirit of God. So that's the response. You know, I'm, I couldn't help but type through that and think about all the people who call themselves prophets today. The ones on TV. and I've never heard one of them give a hard message. It's, oh, things are going to be great. Things are going to be fine. That's not what most of the prophets said in Scripture. There is going to be a disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants because you have forsaken me. So what what did Josiah do? Even though he received that message from Huldah, that the Lord was not going to uh, let Israel skate by, even though it wasn't going to happen in his lifetime, it did not alter him from his humility before the Lord, nor did it stop him from his pursuit of following God. Verse 1 of Second Kings 23. Then the king sent all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets and all the people both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul and to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. That's the proper response. Now, because they had just found this book, You know, whatever the people were hearing, it was news. It was new stuff. They hadn't been studying in it, you know, at home studies. Right? They really needed to hear what God had communicated. I was thinking about that situation. People needed to know what God had said. Comparing it to our situation today. You know, just because the Bible is readily available to anyone and everyone, basically, the vast majority can read it in their native language. For example, and as of 2019, the Bible had been translated into 698 languages, the New Testament and another 1,548 languages, And at least one book of the Bible has been translated into 3,589 languages. From the Wycliffe Global Alliance, there's 7.14 billion people in the world have at least some scripture in their own language, or 97% of all the people on the earth. And I don't know how many of the remaining 3% might not have it in their native language, but they have it in a language that they know. I know some people that work for Wycliffe that um, went to translate language into the, you know, these people's native language, but the people also knew another language that they had the Bible. But it means more if it's in your own, your own tongue. But it's not like it was totally foreign to them. They could get it other ways as well. Because it is God's word with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that changes lives. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful or living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But just because we have this readily available 
gift from God to basically all people in the world, 97% plus, doesn't mean it's read with any frequency. According to Statistica, 29% of adults in America do not, have not read the Bible. Even a piece of it. They don't read it. Um, 13%, well, I open it and read a little bit once a year. Another 8%, well, I open it twice a year. And i got to believe that some of those people that say that are just trying to say it because it makes them feel better. It's probably less than that. I got thinking about that. You know, you know what it would be like? It won't happen, but it would be cool to think about. To have our president stand up, call all the people together, call all the congressmen, call all the senators together, so what are we going to do? We're going to read Can you imagine the protests that would take place over that? It would be incredible. But boy, that'd be neat. We want our country to change? Well, that's the only way it's going to do it. Not going to change if we pass this law or pass that law. But that's what was happening in Jerusalem, in Judah. Think about that. The king was coming out and he read the Bible in front of all the people. And the scene at the beginning of chapter 3 is similar to the scene at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8 when Solomon dedicated the temple. We have the kings and the priests and the people gathered together with the express purpose of honoring God and listening to God's words. And in both instances... Everyone pledged to keep the commandments of God. And that's what happened here. Incredible event that's taking place. Now, we read further that Josiah was serious about serving the Lord. And you know, I need to take a look at his example and be serious myself. What did Josiah do? Verse 4 of 2 Kings 14, or 2 Kings 23. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and of the keepers of the thresholds to bring out of the temple of the Lord, now I'm amazed all these things were in there, but to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he he deposed the priests of whom kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellation and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burnt it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. <clears throat> and he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gates of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come to the altar in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defied Tophah, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch. His grandfather had done that. And removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the son at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan, Melech, and the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the son with fire, and the altars of the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, 
which the kings of Judah had made and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he pulled down and broke to pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. The book Kidron had to be getting a lot of junk in it about this time. <laughs> and the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had built for Asherah. That's a long time ago. Solomon had done that. So he destroyed that. It says, uh, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with the bones of men. He was busy. But he was staying with the program. With this new, renewed dedication to the Lord, Actions took place to remove the false worship places and elements. Again, this has happened other times. Many times they have been removed and destroyed, but there were those who kept bringing them back. The battle against false teachings, the battle against false worship, will continue until the events of Revelation 20 10 to 15 take place. And here we read when this will be finally done. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they, they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Finally, the battle against false worship. Totally done. But until that time, we're going to have that battle. But what did Josiah do? On your list, I think I put, uh, a li uh, on your notes, I put the list of what he'd done. He disposed all the vessels made for Baal and Asherah and the host of heaven. He burned the items that were removed, so you're not going to use them again. They're done. He, he deposed the priests who were made offerings in the high places, and also those who burned incense to Baal. He took the Asherah from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron and burned it. He destroyed the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. He brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where they had made offerings. And some of these offerings were made, you know, to that golden calf that Jeroboam had made. Well, that's just a representation of God. No, it's not. He broke down the high places at the entrance of the gate of Joshua. He removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. He burnt chariots of the sun with fire. He pulled down the altars on the roof of the upper chambers of Ahaz and the altars that Manasseh had made. And he defied, defiled the high places that Solomon the king had built for the Asherah. That's quite a list. Mm -hmm. He kept at it. And it was something that needed to be done. And I have to think that because he had the commitment from the people, because he had read the book before them, when he humbled himself, and they humbled himself before the Lord, that the people who had expressed a desire to follow the Lord, they were right there with him, helping him get rid of all that stuff. We aren't told that, but it, it just seems to fit. This, you, know, you don't do that all by one person. You have a whole bunch of people to do that. You know, I was thinking about all that, and we can't relate to a lot of those things, but it's always appropriate to rid ourselves of things 
that keep us from properly worshiping God. Whatever that is. And I have to sit down and wonder if I have that in my life. Are there things that keep me from doing that? And if there are, I need to burn them, beat them to dust, and go throw them in the brook Kidron. Or in the trash disposal. We need to do the same thing. And if we think there aren't those things there, I think we're probably kidding ourselves. So I just encourage you to take inventory. I need to take inventory. Yes. Are you going to tell me something about me? No. Go ahead. Well, I, I won't bring up the golf clubs, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I googled the Asherah pole. And you know what I found? A picture of the Washington Monument. What? And there are still people who follow Moloch. He was the god that was the child sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a description from a 12th century monk of a of a sacrificial ceremony. And he said that it's built of brass, this image of Moloch as a bull. And it's a furnace. They burn fire in it. And it has hands. And they right. the, when the furnace is hot, so it's going hot, they lay the child in the hands of Moloch. And the priests beat drums to drown out the screams of the baby. And there are still people, places in the world that Moloch is worshipped. Uh-huh. If we think that we have gone beyond these evil, evil things, we're fools. Well, absolute fools if we think we've gone them. And one other thing that we could throw that's it's maybe not Moloch per se, but it's very similar. It's called abortion. How many children are killed in a very similar, just just shattering, I mean, this makes you shudder away. Yeah. If the we satanic, think that... The satanic church is going to start offering services of abortion as a religious, where you can go in and have an abortion, but it's part of a religious thing so that it's not considered because it's part of their religious ceremony. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we are battling, we are battling against false worship every day, all day long. Now, just want to get one, we got a couple minutes here. I knew I wouldn't get all the way through. Josiah wasn't finished. With all that list, he's not done. In starting in verse 15, he went north to Bethel, then continued to clean out the areas of false worship. Now the Bethel worship, the issues of idolatry at Bethel, started under Jeroboam. You know, right after Solomon, then Jeroboam and Rehoboam, he made two golden calves and put one of them at Bethel to give sacrifices to God. Well, it wasn't to God. It was false worship. But it had been, it'd been going you know, hundreds of years. That started in 1 Kings chapter 12. Now we're in 2 Kings 23. In verse 15, it says, Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high priest erected by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. And he also burned the Asherah. As Josiah turned and he saw the tombs there on the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it. According to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed and had predicted these things. Then he said, What is that monument I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be. Let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone. 
with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah moved all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places. That means he killed them. Who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he turned, returned to Jerusalem. So Paul House wrote in his, his section of 2 Kings 23. Now we have both parts of the divided kingdom united spiritually if not politically. Both sections of the land return to the fidelity of the Lord and to an emphasis on worship at a central central sanctuary or in the temple. Now one point that needs to be brought out in performing these actions, Josiah fulfilled a prophecy that was made 300 years earlier in 1 Kings 13. 1 Kings 13 verse 1 says, And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. This is a prophet. We don't know his name. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. This is the the offering that he had, the place he had built in Bethel. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David. Josiah by name they even named him think about that and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you and of human bones shall be burned to you and he shall give a sign the same day saying this is the sign that the Lord has spoken behold the altar shall be torn down and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out So we also saw Joash sacrificing those, killing those priests, those prophets, very similar to Elijah on Mount Carmel. Mm -hmm. And this prophecy that was given 300 years ago now has come to pass. One last comment, and then we'll be done for the day. Thinking about all that Joash did there. I had to ask myself, what waits in judgment for those who lead others astray in false worship? It's very sobering to think about. In Israel, the priests that had led to this corrupting the proper worship of God, they were killed. You know, the clergy today that does the same thing can expect nothing different than the judgment of God when he comes for leading people astray. Now next time we're going to continue we're going to finish what Joash did and this kind of will blow you away a little bit. He's going to restore the Passover. It needed restoration. We'll cover that at another time. Let's pray.